Maybe don't know. Maybe don't know. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 51 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. It's been a crazy busy week here in Lander, Wyoming. We just wrapped up the 24th International Climbers Festival, and it was wildly successful. So huge thanks and congratulations to everyone who was involved in organizing and making the festival happen. It just gets better and better every year that I've been involved. And I think this was my ninth, ninth or tenth. So great job, you guys. Um, you know, while here, while the festival was going on, I moderated a training panel at the Lander Bake Shop that included Neely Quinn, Steve Bechtel, Arno Ilgner, and Eric Hurst. Um, kind of a who's who of American training right now. And and uh, it was great. We packed the place and had great conversation. Uh, so big thanks to you guys for showing up and coming out for that. And and I was really happy to meet so many people who are excited about the podcast. So thank you guys for saying something. Um, I did record the event, and I'll have that out soon. I'm also going to share it with Eric and Neely for their podcast. So you'll be hearing that if you didn't get to make it. Um, you know, during this week, I, I kind of ran around like crazy and interviewed a bunch of people that I really have been wanting to talk to. Um, I talked to Savannah Buick, and you guys will hear that coming soon. I think it's a really important conversation about eating disorders. And uh, with Shelma Jun, I just talked with her this morning. She runs Hey Flash Foxy and the cl- the Women's Climbing Festival. And, and I've been a little conflicted and confused and didn't really understand this feminist movement and climbing and and Shelma was really nice enough to sit down and break it down for me and 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 Shelma's a friend so we've had some really great conversation about it so I appreciate that and I talked some more with Arno Ilgner um, more about the mental training that he does and more aspects of it um, with Hazel Finley about her take on mental training and I think she's got a really really great, relatable way of putting things. And I had a lot of fun talking to her. And uh, then with Tommy Caldwell, we talked about belief and partnership and how that all comes together in your climbing. So you guys have got some great things coming up soon. Uh, Some great episodes. And, uh, you know, you turn out for those. You show up. You make it happen. Uh, We've reached our goal for 2017, 100 reviews on apple podcasts i appreciate that i know they don't make it easy on you i know it's a pain in the ass but you guys do it anyway so thank you before we get this thing going i do have one bit of news that i have to give you that i'm not super stoked to give you but the midwest training for climbing conference in milwaukee this summer has been canceled so you will not be able to see us out there Uh, however Nate and I do have a few other dates around the Midwest that we're still going to honor in the upper Midwest. And uh, if you're in the in the area, if you're at a gym in the upper Midwest and you want to see us, please let your gym know. Contact us. We'll reach out to them. Whatever. We'd love to come and see you guys. So hit me up. 
Today's guest is Dr. Lisa Erickson, who is the author of Climbing Injuries Solved. And I reached out to Lisa because I get tons of questions from people who may have finger injuries or who want to know how to treat their own finger injuries. And and I just don't feel really comfortable giving much advice there. I can give really basic advice, um, but I'd feel better if I pointed people in a good direction. And particularly after talking with Lisa, I really appreciate the direction that she takes with the approach she takes to dealing with finger injuries and talking with people. And she, you know, she's a climber, so she gets it. And Lisa also gave me her top tips for preventing finger injuries, what you can do before you have an injury um, to, to just make sure that you don't get them. I think that that should be our goal as climbers to begin with, not to just constantly be rehabbing our fingers. And she gave those to me for the, for the patrons. So the patrons will be getting that extra podcast this month, the, the We Scream Like Eagles podcast. And you can find out more about that at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get more episodes. So, all right, let's talk to Lisa. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. First off, research is really far behind what we notice in a clinical setting. So if your tape job feels like it's helping, most likely it is. And in 10 or 15 years, the research will support what you've already found in, in your own testing. Daniel and Courtney Woods as climbing patients and I'd see all their injuries and not really understand them as well because that's when I was running and skiing that type of thing so then I started to um, come to their events with them I started out with USA climbing for the medical tent and really seeing these crazy drop knees and amazing heel hooks and then really looking right. at the medical research behind it and how exactly it moves because we have very little education training on that in the medical realm we, we look right. at joints moving on one angle and not rotation and putting these powerful torques through them. And that makes it really fun and interesting because it's not dull and boring like everything else. When you, when you were encountering that stuff, you know, and meeting Daniel and Courtney and seeing all these movements that, that your training hadn't really prepared you for, was there research that had been done already that you could go look at or did you kind of sort of conduct it on your own? Yeah, um, so that's where I just went straight to the research. I started going to CU, um, University of Colorado, and going through their library of all the research. And the research, a lot of it's not primarily on um, climbers per se. So right, I was looking right. at um, baseball, and I was looking at soccer, and I was all these other sports that have these torques put in the joints. But of course, it's nothing like climbing. Sure. So then you start taking the anatomy of a finger and comparing and comparing it with the anatomy of the knee and saying, you know, really trying to understand the torques through research with knees and how that applies gotcha. to fingers. So yep. it's really taking it and applying it in a different way, which is fun. It, it keeps the brain going. Yeah, for sure. So can we get into fingers a little bit? You know, I think that's, uh, you know, a concern and uh, most climbers at some point are going to have some sort of finger injury, whether it's a, you know, a bad finger injury or just something minor. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know how to say, okay, this is something I should just climb through, or this is something that I really need to go have looked at. So 
if we can dig into fingers a bit, that'd be great. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so the biggest issue with fingers that I see is someone that has the hear a pop or snap and they have right. instant weakness and it swells and then they take maybe two or three weeks off of it and they start trying to pull hard on it again. Right. Um, so if you see a finger that has definitely changed its size or its color because of your injury or if... Um, if all of a sudden it's telling you it cannot be loaded because of pain, mm-hmm. obviously listening to that. But but then there's the whole level of of climbers, the whole group that that have they've felt an injury, they've taken a month or two off, and now they're trying to get back into climbing, and their finger is hurting them just as much as the day that they injured it. And so right. th- even though it didn't feel like a major injury, so for those guys, they also need to come in and, and have someone look at it and see exactly what's going on. And that's tough seeing a medical provider because they're going to look at it and say, you injured it climbing, so just stop climbing. And if you don't notice it at your desk job or if you, you don't notice it during your other activities, right. that should solve the problem, just stop climbing. So it's important to keep after your doctor and make sure that they know that you not only want to keep doing what you love, but you really want to get to the bottom of what is the true injury so that you can do specific climbing moves. Say I can climb open hand on all of this because it's a pulley tendon I injured and not, um, not doing like crimps on it because it is like an A2 pulley. So we can go back and forth on what exactly it is and what you feel climbing. So, so really diagnosing or, or, observing what you're feeling climbing and keeping a little chart of it. So when you go in to talk to them, you can say what exactly you're feeling and what you're not feeling. And and I would really uh, show them positions of this hurts and that doesn't. And that way they can really get in and diagnose. And they may have to send you to a hand specialist to be able to do that or a specific orthopedic doctor. Sure, sure. Now, if someone does hear a pop or, you know, like you just mentioned, it, it swells up or discolors, would you suggest going and seeing someone right away or take time off and see what happens? Well, that is the tricky question. I've had a few people that have heard a pop and it, it's, it swelled up and they took time off and it, that was the correct thing to do. Right. I've also had other people that took a few weeks off, they heard a pop thinking it was a pulley tendon and it was actually the back of the joint on the back of the finger. They actually pulled a bit of the bone off with an extensor tendon. Gotcha. And so those ones don't really heal on their own unless we go in and do the right thing to it. So, okay. so it, it really is a, a swelling thing and a, in a strength thing. Does it feel stable in what positions does it bother you? So, and also where the tenderness is, if the tenderness is right over a pulley tendon, you're very, um, I'm very comfortable saying just take time off and let it heal. Um, but if, if, if you press in there, it doesn't hurt and the pain is more coming from the joint line or on the back of the joint, then that is something I recommend having looked at. Okay. And I know a lot of people are, and myself included, have healed, so to speak, finger injuries by continuing to climb, just doing easy things that don't aggravate it. Mm-hmm. You know, avo- like you said, observe what's happening, avoid anything that's hurting the finger. Is that something you recommend to continue climbing something easy for the sake of blood flow? Or what's your general protocol there? And for and for mental well being as well. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Very few patients have I told you need to stop climbing and you need to take a bunch of time off. Right. Um, last year I had three patients with um, avulsions of the bone. Yep. And that's uh, when it pulls a little piece of bone off. Yep. Right? Pulls a chunk of the bone off. Yep. I've I've seen a few bone spurs where the tendon is tugging so much over time that the bone actually starts to grow a little bump on it. So I saw two of those last gotcha. year, and and their um, hand surgeon would say you need to stop climbing you're having degenerative changes to your hand. And I'd say, 
keep going, enjoy it. Don't worry about it. And if it becomes a problem, we'll deal with it right. then. Right. Um, and, and then there's the majority of the rest of the climbers, right. which are pulley tendons, which I'd say is about 50% of what we see here in office. And then, um, the remainder are, um, tendonitis, tendinosis of the flexor tendons. Sure. And, and that usually coincides with an unhappy pulley at the same time if it's been chronic. So for those guys, I say, you can totally keep climbing, but we need to watch what aggravates the hand. Yep. And if you are deciding to keep climbing, you definitely need to be doing all your homework to heal it and untangle it at the same time, which is this balance of um, how much climbing am I doing, injuring it, and how much home care am I doing to improve it at the same time. We want, we want to keep making progressive steps in the right direction. And sometimes the home care is going to make it worse. It's going to make it more inflamed for a period of time. And mm -hmm. that's where we back off the climbing a little bit. Um, but just looking to see what the finger can handle and say it's a pulley injury. If you're climbing open hand the whole time and you're doing pinches or you're a crack climber, you should not have that much tension on the pulley. It can heal while you climb right. hard through it. Whereas other people, if you have flexor tendonitis or, or tendinosis where that tendon is, has, has a ton of inflammatory degenerative changes, um, we need to pay a little more attention to it because a crimp will bother it just as much as an open hand. And so that's right. where just really watching your footing and making sure if you can use really good feet and be very light on your hand, you're okay to keep climbing. So I would stay off overhangs and I would stay off anything that you really load in that sucker where you're pulling hard right, and right. really try, try to stay on stuff where you're very comfortable with your feet and you're using them as much as you can. Yep. And they're not trying to um, explosively or dynamically throw to something that that finger or that hand cannot handle at that time. Gotcha. Now I'm, I'm extremely guilty and I know a lot of climbers are. We all are, of, yes. <laughs> of saying, it's fine. I don't need to go to a doctor. They're just going to tell me what I already know. You know, mm -hmm. I, I say that all the time. In fact, I've said it this week because of this wrist thing I have going on. And uh, if a climber who are generally speaking of the same ilk that I am of, I don't need to go see a doctor. If they're having an issue with their finger, how can they tell the difference between that tendonitis, tendinosis, or a pulley injury? Because you said they're, they're pretty similar. One often involves, you know, the tendonitis often involves an angry pulley. Is there a way for them to tell the difference and know that, okay, I should go see someone? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, so for an angry pulley, it would hurt just on that pulley itself. It'd be very pinpoint tender only over the pulley itself. Gotcha. I've noticed, so so these recommendations are going off of me ultrasounding people. Okay. I really thought I knew what I was talking about till I got the ultrasound and then it really humbled me because right. I realized that there are so many different things going on underneath the surface that I can only guess at poking on the finger. So we can, we can give them homework and, and give them modifications and really try to, to make these changes. But it really is just a trial and error system if they're at home trying to self guess all this stuff. Gotcha. So if it's tender over a large area, say from, from the, the middle knuckle all the way up into the palm on, on that. So, so it feels like a pulley, but it is like two inches long, right. that's more likely to be a, a flexor tendonitis or tendinosis gotcha. versus if it's just very pinpoint. Gotcha. So for them, if they're able to climb and, and that pinpoint area doesn't get worse and it, and it continues to, I, I guess my point is I want it to continue to improve, not mm -hmm. just stay bad. Yep. Um, and, and then also with, with specific tin, pinpoint tenderness, it could be so many different things. So say on the underside of your finger, it could be a pulley. 
Um, it could also be a little nodule, a little bump of scar tissue, which is what I had in my finger. And I thought it was a pulley cause I didn't have my ultrasound. I thought it had pulled up a bit of bone. Right. And, with and those, it's showing up just like a pinpoint, the same as pinpoint tenderness, would. the same, but a little, yeah. not a little bump in there. Gotcha. Um, and since I do muscle work all the time with my hands, I can feel those little tender bumps mm-hmm. where some people cannot cause most climbers have very calloused, right. very, um, desensitized fingertips. So yep. it may pay to go to someone, have them poke and see if they can feel something like that. Um, so with a little nodule, you do not want to tape over the top of it because you're grinding that nodule sure. or that little bump into the tissues below it. Yep. So I've seen climbers that have taped it self-diagnosing that it was a pulley tendon injury and it's actually been one of those little nodules and they have grinded that against all their flexor tendons causing a lot of damage. Right. Um, and then just last month I saw my very first nodule between the flexor tendons. You have two of them run that run out to your distal finger, one um, that crimps and one that that mostly bends all your, your fingertips. And it was actually between the two of those. Hmm. And so that's the first time I've seen one of those. So it changes the whole treatment plan. So for that person, um, with anyone that, that has uh, a pulley injury or if, uh, anything wrong with the tenons, I always say work to unweight it by working further up into the forearm, whatever muscle is tugging on those tendons or loading them. If, if it's tight, it's going to create issues downstream. And, and the issues are arise when you're sleeping and when you're in the car, when you're not climbing, those tendons should not be tugged on. So if they're constantly being loaded, even when you're not climbing, they don't have a chance to heal and they get more inflamed. The tendons take up more space. There's more inflammation. And so I've had a few cases of clicking finger where it clicks when you bend it. And, and we've actually been able to keep it from clicking by working up and up in the forearm with acupuncture and massage. And I didn't even touch out in the finger. And so I like to play mad scientist. So I say, let's sure. work here yep. and see if that changes it. And so I'm very pinpoint as for, I work in this area and then, and then test it, see what it feels like that didn't change it. Well, that wasn't the problem. Let's work in this other area, try this um, technique. Oh, it did all of a sudden change it. Well, that most likely was the cause. So every time you come in, we, we do that type of right, thing right. to really pinpoint what the cause is. Sometimes there's a few different causes, a few different types of loading it as to why mm-hmm. it won't heal. And with a lot of climbers, it's the worry stone phenomenon where you guys go in and you're constantly rubbing on it. Does it feel better today? Oh, right, it's still right, sore. Right. Um, can I cramp really hard on it today? Let's test it on the hangboard. Is, it, is, it, is my pulley still unhappy? three days after I injured it, am I okay to climb? Probably right. not. Give it some more time to rest. At least two weeks um, yep. of, of rest on a pulley. You can still open hand while we wait on it, mm-hmm. but definitely try not to crimp on that sucker and leave it be. Yep. You mentioned taping in there. I know there's a lot of debate about whether tape actually helps or how much it helps and right. you know different ways to tape. What are your suggestions in that realm? If you think you have a pulley injury or you've gone to see someone and you know that it's a pulley injury, how should you be taping mm-hmm. to help support? Yeah, so first off, research is really far behind what we not- what we mm-hmm. notice in a clinical setting and also what you notice at your gym. So if your tape job feels like it's helping, most likely it is. Right. And in 10 or 15 years, the research will support what you've already found in, in your own testing. So with that said, whatever feels like it's helping, do it. Um, Research shows H-taping to be the most effective for unloading the whole mechanism of the whole flexor tendon the whole way down the finger. But a lot of the climbers I've had climbing and me myself, it doesn't feel like it's doing anything and I don't like it. So even though research says that it works, I don't really trust that research. And there's, there's always errors in research and maybe I'm just taping it with the wrong type of tape or maybe they use a different type of tape and the research, they don't say exactly what brand of tape they use. So it's hard to tell. So, um, but my favorite is just the basic climbers tape 
Mm-hmm. Um, just around around. I love the the Swiss type, the Swiss style of circular yep. taping. And I may not tape over your unhappy pulley. I may tape right next to it. So if you have any tender, sore, nodular things, I will tape not over them because that will exacerbate them. But I'll tape above or below them to unload it. And if you tape further down the finger in different segments, that'll also unload that one particular pulley. So it's like climbing. If one cam pops, it's not a big deal. But if they all pop, right, you have a right. problem. So the more you put in there, the more it unloads that one structure. And we can't unload up into the palm, but we can unload down on the fingers. Sure. So just, yeah. So circular is my favorite. Um, there's some brands that work better than others, but if you if it sticks and you're happy with it and it feels like it's supporting, that's good. Um, and it, it definitely loses its... its um, it's load capacity after an hour or so of climbing. Right, it stretches right. out Starts by fifteen percent. It does. Mm-hmm. So you definitely want to tape in a way that you don't lose mobility and you don't lose your your blood flow. But you definitely want to keep reapplying or put another extra circle over it so that there's more tape to absorb the load. So I'll usually go around two, three, four times. Um, yep. And just use a tiny strip, maybe half the size of my pinky, and try not to put too much tape on. But the more times you tape down the finger, the more it unloads it. Right, right. I'm glad you said that. That you don't necessarily trust the research, you know, mm-hmm. even as a doctor, that that you also listen to anecdotal evidence. You know, Absolutely. this feels like it's helping, so mm-hmm. you know maybe it is. Um, Angie Payne is a good friend of mine, and I know you've worked with Angie in the past. Yeah. And uh, climbing with Angie once years ago, she had her fingers taped, and I asked her about it. You know, do you feel like it's helping? Does it, you know, is it? seem to make a difference and her response was well i i sort of believe that it does and it also reminds me you know if i grab a small hold that tapes there i can feel it and and i can remind myself not to crimp really hard you know it's just not worth it to to do that and that's why i'm wearing this this brace on my wrist right now i can i can keep it off but it reminds me not to do too much with it right now Mm. You know, um, Mm -hmm. so I think that's important as well, just to give yourself that reminder. We all tend to go into this mode where we're, we have intention of not trying really hard. Then we get excited about a problem. Lose control. (laughs) And we just go for it, you know, and then we're like, that was really stupid. Yep. Yep. So, so so it's just learning little, little tasks of, uh, or or little tricks of, I can still do what I want to do, but I need to hold that joint in a, in a protected, safe position. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's one finger, I'm going to make sure to back it up with a bunch more fingers. Watch what is the safest way to load this thing that I feel like I myself am more, more secure that I'm not going to injure it. That's your, you listening to your body is for what? What's safe and what's unsafe yep. and same thing with, with your with your wrist brace not only is it providing compression and and giving more feedback so that also counts as brain training having it on there sure it tells your brain what angle it's at um, it provides a little bit of compression and we've learned that that turns the brain on to allow the muscles of the forearm to actually right, work right. for your wrist yep. and we also notice with chronic injuries um, the brain starts to not connect to them anymore. They don't get as much blood mm. flow as they should. They may not be the same temperature. Is right. uh, I'm pulling that from totally different research yep. about disconnecting the brain though. from these spots, uh, from these regions. But it's just not as connected as it could be, and that could be why we keep getting these repetitive injuries. So, so we've been learning with tape and with vibration and with braces and even icy hot and tiger balm. There's research to to now right. support 
why those things work. Whereas before we thought, oh, it's just hearsay. You put right. the tape on, it's, it doesn't do anything. But mm -hmm. now we're starting to show researches for why people are performing better, their joints are moving better, they're having control of that knee wobbling all over the place without even thinking about it because the tape or the brace is giving feedback to the brain as for how to move it with a correct motion pattern. And I find that fascinating. Yeah, and I think Super that seems, you know, just in looking in a cursory way, because I'm not a researcher, I'm not a doctor, but looking at the way research seems to work, it, it seems to almost always be in that pattern where athletes who really care about their performance find a way to make it work, and then research comes behind it and says, okay, now we understand it. This is why it's working. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and that's how I, so I'm super interested in this brand called Rock Tape. They spend a lot of mm -hmm. money on research. So I bought my ultrasound device, very expensive to me, um, to, to help them with their research. They said, we're looking for doctors, come help us with our research. And um, by the time I got it, I've mostly been spending it doing something totally different with joints. But it's very interesting because they bought the ultrasounds to put the, First, they put the kinesio tape on the skin, and then they look to see how are the muscles functioning with this ultrasound device, kind of uh, just like you use on on mothers with with a with a fetus in the womb. Looking at it, you can actually see the muscles gliding. Right. And so they look at it and see when I put this rock tape on, how do the muscles glide? Just it's just a, a brand of kinesio tape. When I put the kinesio tape on the skin, how do these muscles glide, or do they hold tight? And right. so we ask them to do certain motions, and we watch to see what the muscle does. Does it just shake like a bowl full of jelly or a bowl full of jello, which is a muscle that is inhibited that refuses to contract and relax. So that would be a climber that their forearms are so tight that they're pumping out because their, their forearms won't elongate and they won't contract. Right, so that's sure. an example there. And we're, we're, I'm, I was watching these climbers um, tapping on their forearms at one of the World Cups. Tap, 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 tap. Yep, yep. And, and then I saw the research that shows that if you get in with your foam roller or and you start doing 10 to 12 compressions on a muscle, it activates that muscle and now that muscle can contract and relax and actually work. So that's a good prep for climbing gotcha. versus afterwards, a long controlled, slow, deep tissue work is not conducive for before climbing, but the right. research shows it allows that muscle to elongate out and it's perfect for after climbing. And we think all of this is actually brain training, actually right. getting that brain to tell the muscle it's okay to do a, part uh, a particular task. Which is fascinating because it does work yeah. locally, but it also has this this whole brain involvement as well. So can you tell me exactly how kinesio tape works? I know a lot of people, you know, I didn't believe it at first. When I first saw it, I'm like, but mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense. I can't imagine why that would work. And then the first time I used it, it was almost immediate increased range of motion. Mm-hmm. And, and I couldn't believe it. And I still don't know exactly how it works. I've heard a lot of theories. Um, you know, is there science starting to back that up, why it works now? So they've done research on it, and we can, we can see how it works, but we're still learning the mechanisms of how it works. Um, so I just wrote an article for Mountain Project, and there was a bunch of, of climbers very unhappy about kinesio, just like you said, but mm -hmm. you're on the other side of the fence. Their side was, it doesn't work, it's hocus pocus, how, right. how does it work? So you could post this online so that people can, yep. I'm too lazy to write anything else. Um, but <laughs> but there, there's, there are a few theories and research on why it works, and it's through all these different mechanisms. So uh, a lot of people expect kinesio tape to work in the same way that our basic climbers athletic tape works. It right. Does not do which even is how I looked at it initially thing. and made no sense. Right, right. Which which is why you look at it and 
say, well, I'm taping my finger with it, but that is, it, that's not going to unload my pulley. And they're absolutely right. Kinesio tape does not act remotely like climber's tape. Right. Um, instead, it provides a slow, controlled compression. And so that's more of swelling control, and that's more of a joint that is all stretched out that's hypermobile. We can go in and, and lock it down a little bit by, by using the kinesio tape. Now, if you fall, like, like, like say you're bouldering and you fall and you miss the pad and you have kinesio tape on, you're still going to sprain your ankle. It's not going right. to support and stabilize like basic athletic tape or climbers tape will, but it works more in the fact of brain training of having that tape on the skin. It, it gives so much feedback to the body through position sensors, hairs, vibration sensors, as for where that joint or that tissue is in, in space, it gives so much feedback that the brain now unlocks that muscle and allows it to work. So it works through uh, this thing called the muscle spindle and this thing called the Golgi tendon organ. Right. And the muscle spindle is what tells the muscle what tone it should be. Protect, mm -hmm. protect, guard, guard in the case of an injury. Yep. And when when we start doing all this work, we affect the Golgi tendon organ, which is like the circuit breaker, and it tells yep. the muscle spindle to relax. Mm -hmm. So with the vibration tools or the kinesio tape or you foam rolling, somehow that Golgi tendon organ is, is now telling the muscle spindle, it's okay, you can relax. There, there's no danger here. Um, we're, we're resetting you to where we are in space right now and not to that memory of your past injury that is now gone right. and we're starting from scratch. So it's helping you reset and send positive signals to the nervous system. Yes. Yes. Basically. And one, one example would be a squat test. So you put a tape on a knee on someone who, when they're squatting, their knee is not tracking symmetrically. Mm -hmm. It's wiggling left and right. So the first time you put the tape on the knee and you say, please do another squat, the knee does the exact same thing all over the place. Yep. And then we say, okay, keep doing a few more squats, a few more squats. And that knee starts to learn from the tape on the skin it has so much feedback that all of a sudden they can do a much better squat and then a perfect squat with no effort on your or my part. Right. It's not a brain thing. Now it's more of, of, a, of a perhaps a spinal cord thing. Um, maybe it's more of a reflexive response to, to motion. The brain doesn't have to stay involved. Right. Um, another study that I love on kinesio tape is when you have it on your boo-boo, your brain is more quiet. It's not telling that area um, what to do all the time. So, so in the oh, study, gotcha. the, the, the scan of the brain is quiet when they have the tape on the injury versus when the tape is off of the injury, the brain is going crazy as for that spot on the body, which is right. fascinating. So now you can climb and you can actually focus on where are your exactly. hands and are, what's your breathing pattern and what are you going to do next? What's your, what's your motion pattern versus what does my knee feel like? And how tight do those muscles need to be to support it? And is this heel hook going to hurt me? Like my last heel hook doesn't have to think about that anymore. It's yep. just, it's all automated. Yeah, that's great. I had, I had never thought of it in that respect before, but, but you know, it's not all, a lot of people sort of believe that we can just, you focus your mind where you want to. You know, mm -hmm. but that's not really the truth. The brain and the body in general is trying to protect itself. I mean, that's our that's our main goal mm -hmm. as organisms is to continue living and do it in a, a healthy way. So the brain is focusing a lot of its energy toward an injury if it's there. Mm -hmm. Unless you're in danger and then you just get a right. huge exactly. uh, plume of, of yep. chemicals and then you can do that yeah. That. 80th pull-up you couldn't do, or uh, do my first pull-up I couldn't do. Whereas right. you, if you're just in a, in a safe environment that nothing's going to happen, you cannot recruit those muscles as you can in a danger setting. Right. Yeah. In that danger setting, your brain's just shutting that governor down and saying, 
do whatever you have to to survive you know Mm -hmm. um but if you're out climbing and trying your project that's that's good to know that if you put the kinesio tape on an injury your brain can put a little more focus elsewhere yes yeah the region feels more secure um Mm -hmm. it has more swelling control and there's a lot more feedback as for what uh what position that joint should be in and we're also thinking the kinesio tape also acts like like an extra muscle to stabilize and decompress the tissues below it um one extra tidbit I've found from the rock tape company is their research has shown that compressing whenever you put kinesio tape over an injury, it compresses, but the skin stays the same thickness, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And it will actually compress the muscle further down. Oh, so wow. we can use it to act like a pulley, which is what I love doing on people that have elbow tendonitis. I'll wrap it around the elbow and it actually acts like a pulley to unload that elbow so it can heal faster. So there's oh, a few different techniques for you. So, so when you see a bunch of tape on people, um, they may be trying a bunch, a bunch of different techniques to use it. Sure. Um, but there's also been some research on the kinesio tape. I hope I'm not boring you. I'll go on no, and on not about at kinesio all. tape. Not at all. Um, but another one of the research studies was they, they wanted to tape, they, they start with the butt muscle. Uh-huh. How can we tape the butt muscle to get more contract, uh, make it fire quicker, stronger. Um, So they try different stretching techniques and then their placebo was the band-aid effect. They tape straight across. And what they found with the research study was it doesn't matter how much tape tension you pull or what direction you pull, um, that muscle would fire more on how much of the tape was over the skin. So the placebo was the whole butt was covered with tape and it fired the best. So perhaps maybe that's where the arm sleeves and the compression wear comes in right. is that it's putting so much compression on there. Um, that that's giving so much stimulus mm-hmm. that that works the best. Oh, that's really interesting. So the, the tape according to that research is really just, you know, it's not that the tape is doing anything special. It's that it's just sending signals mm-hmm. and our brain just reads it as this is protection. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not quite sure how it's reading it, right, but it's, right, get, right, it's right. getting so much feedback that all of a sudden it has so much more awareness of where that joint is in space. Hmm. So I, in my office, when people sp- to go to a totally different region and apply this, w- what we just discussed, in an ankle, I see a lot of people that have sprained an ankle. They come in saying, I keep re-spraining it. And when I step up onto a curb or I step off of a curb, I don't know where my foot is in space. I can't control it. Right. And that's because there's so many different joints in the ankle that the posi- the position sensors are in the tendons. They're not in the joints. Versus your elbow, there, there really are very few joints in the elbow. Right. So as you bend it, your elbow knows where it is in space because of the joint itself. So in the ankle, it's in the tendons. And, at, and when you sprain it, you stretch out those tendons. Mm. So those position sensors are further apart than they used to be. And all of a sudden, your ankle doesn't know where it is in space. Yep. So that's where the tape comes in really handy there is to give it a bunch of extra feedback so now it can relearn what it has lost gotcha oh that's really interesting i had never i didn't know why it worked mm-hmm. you know, it's fascinating I, I knew it worked because i put it on and when i had some shoulder issues years ago i put it on and almost immediately the pain is gone the range of motion is increased and i could climb all day pain-free mm-hmm. you know so so i knew there was something happening and but that was on why. your shoulder you said yep Ah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I've noticed with mine, because I have shoulder issues, if I put the tape on, it, it I know where neutral is. Mm-hmm. And when I start to stretch the tape, I know where that danger unsafe area yep. is, yep. where my shoulder always gets pinched. 
internally and all of a sudden it goes weak. So by taping myself up and learning where the, where the safe zones are, where my shoulder's functioning happily, all of a sudden I can start teaching other climbers, here's where safe is. I don't want you to have your arm over your, your hand overhead and your shoulder super right. extended. Exactly. That's an unsafe area or having you be in a, in a mantle position and your shoulders punched forward and way up by your ear. Yep. That's also an unsafe position. Um, so the tape will also teach you as you start to go into those unsafe positions, you'll stretch it. And just like your brace on your wrist, it will remind you, do I really mm -hmm. want to be loading it in this fashion? Is this safe for me? Is there a safer way to load it in instead of this positioning? Um, so they, re they really come in beneficial in that way. Yeah. And I think that's exactly how it was working, you know, in, in Red River Gorge, which is where I grew up and learned to climb. Awesome. The, the style is sort of you get pumped, you get tired, but you just keep going and you keep latching holds and latching holds and latching holds. And, and when that happens, you definitely get your shoulder, you know, out of engagement. You're just extending and letting all of your weight fall onto that joint over and over and over. And, and the tape would keep me engaged. You know, I wouldn't go into that mode where I was just flinging my arm up and latching something. You know, mm -hmm. so I would stay engaged and it just felt like a safer place to be. So, and I climbed just as hard or harder. So there was no, you know, by not going into that mode didn't affect my climbing necessarily. Mm. So. It's so interesting. I, I love yeah. testing this stuff so we, mm -hmm. we can see what we notice at home and then see, does it work? So, so I find these little things that work with me. And then, um, to some of my, my patients, I recommend it to them and say, I, this isn't supported by research, but it's helped me and I, you may test it out and then let me know positive, negative feedback if it works. Because in the climbing realm, we have very few um, research studies and right. very few docs that, that yep. know a lot about this stuff. So it's, it's up to us to learn all this. And primarily everything that I know, I've had athletes go out and test things like David Graham, so, such a brilliant mind. He yep. loves research. He loves to test. He's one of the first that started bringing me all these research papers. Read this one. Read that one. Read this one. <laughs> right. And I'd ask him, hey, Dave, what do you like better, H-taping or circular taping? What do you like better, icing or contrast baths? Right. So, try this. Try that. And <clears throat> we really learn what works best for, of course, it's a case by case. And of course, it depends sure. on your body itself as for where you are. Um, but it's very fascinating to see when I take that situation and try to apply it to somebody else, does it work in that fashion? There's no research to support it, but when I figure out the exact things, perhaps we can get another research study going. Yep. And I bet one's already going on those topics that when it comes out, I'll have found it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very fascinating to see how that works. Cool, very cool. So to bring this back to fingers a little bit, is there a way to use kinesio tape to improve the you know the way tendons are moving in the hand or in the forearm absolutely if yeah. they're feeling crunchy absolutely for lack of a better term yeah i love the crunchy yeah i always ask people does that feel crunchy in there um so we want to first you have to understand how the fingers work and the mm -hmm. fingers are primarily tendons and it works all the way up in the forearm where, where that's where the contractile tug moves the fingers right so in order to affect the fingers we can tape that finger itself so if it's swollen, we can go in there and do a gentle spiral kinesio tape up the finger. So, so say it's the same as a circular climber's tape, but lighter. And we start from all the way down at the joint and we go all the way up to the next joint. And so that will at least compress that and give us feedback 
is for what's going on in that injured area. Say it's a pulley or you have tendonitis. And then the real bang for the buck is working up in the forearm. And so putting tape over the muscle that is tugging on that exact finger. So you have to know what muscle it is, what tendon it is. And then you can go research where does that muscle run? And then we can kinesio tape up and over that muscle. And so that will give feedback right. all the way down into the finger. Okay. And, and unweight it so it heals faster. Right. Same same situation we were talking about that it's sending signals to the brain to you know to help out. Basically. Right. Yeah. It it tells that muscle why why are you contracted all the time? You don't need to be pumped out of your mind two days after climbing or right, right before I get on the wall. Mm-hmm. You need to be nice and soft and supple and loose. A muscle should feel like um ahi tuna or, or uncooked steak. It shouldn't feel like a twangy guitar string or cooked pork chop or just so hard the whole forearm feels like a bone. So if that's the case, going in and rolling on it, um, using like a thumper or personal massager on it or even kinesio tape to help teach that muscle to be loose. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. And then what about, you know, you mentioned that you would use kinesio tape and wrap it up the joint mm-hmm. in the finger. Um, what about using something like, uh, oh gosh, the name just slipped in my mind. Um, like a voodoo floss yeah. on the finger. Yeah. So a voodoo <clears throat> floss is compressive, but it is more of a, um, it's a super stretchy band, mm-hmm. but it is not as, well, one, it doesn't stick to the skin right. like kinesio tape does. Right. Um, and two, I'd be afraid about it being well, also breathable because the kinesio tape we're leaving on for a period of time. The right. voodoo floss is like a, a rubber. And so I would, would not right. want them to get any type of a... And it's on there just for a short time and, and running through range of motion. Yes. Is yeah. that something you've used or experimented with I for have. any reason? Yeah, I've, I've used it. And, and so my understanding of how it works and, and what I tell my patients and, and the reason why I use it is because the skin is adhered to the muscle or the fascia, which is the covering over the muscle, is adhered and we want things freely gliding. So in in situations of long-term inflammation or long-term loading of that region and we mm-hmm. get a lot of a lot of hot puffy leftover um, swelling from it, everything tends to become adhered. And so gotcha. when it all adheres together and sticks together, then we need to go in and break it up. And there's a ton of different techniques to break it up. There is um, Graston technique, there's flossing, there's myofascial release, there is good old-fashioned massage, there mm-hmm. is um, spooning or uh, gua sha, or there's all these different methods of loosening it up. But voodoo flossing is one that the CrossFit uh, region designed to break stuff up. So yeah, right. you wrap it very aggressively and then you bend and move the joint. And what that does is it anchors down the skin so the skin can't move. And then you're gliding the muscle under the skin and you're ripping up any adhesions or scar tissue where that's stuck together. And I've seen a lot of people that say that um, this is all brain training and it does nothing truthfully to the tissue below. And I tell them, you come in my office and you see this all right. adhered and dimpled, <clears throat> like someone's butt that they squeeze it and it's just dimples everywhere. And then we grasped in for a couple weeks and all of a sudden they squeeze and those dimples are gone. I've been busting, <laughs> busting my ass too, um, to rip that, <laughs> yeah. hold that tissue and try to break all those, those cross adhesions together. Yep. And in having worked on triathletes before climbers, their skin, um, true professional uh, triathletes, they get several massages. They, they may get up to two massages a week. I mean, mm-hmm. they're very aggressive with their self-care. They foam roll every single night. They do stretches every single day. They do drills to, to perfect their technique every single day. 
and their skin is rubbery and I can pull it right off their body. I've never seen anything like it before. Um, and, and I'm starting to notice that perhaps that is the new normal or that's the normal that we were all like right. back when we were kids. And now yep. we're just adhered and stuck together and we're held mm-hmm. together by scar tissue and things that are stiff and need to be made more flexible. So I really push people that they don't believe that to go feel on someone who's done a lot of that work because they have a totally different tissue tension than the rest of us. Right. Interesting. And things like acupressure rings for your fingers. Yeah. Um, do similar types of things, I imagine. And as far as breaking up that adhesion. Uh, well, in, in my, so I have not seen any research on this, so I'm just mm-hmm. going to go off my clinical understanding of different applications of, of mm. the other therapies that I've used. Okay. But the acupressure ring, I don't use it for acupressure because I don't understand that realm. I'm much more of a mechanical focused person, right. but we can use it like a squeegee and roll it up and down the finger with pressure towards the hearts. And I can actually see the swelling come out of that finger. Mm. And you can see the little dimples that it creates as it squeezes what we call interstitial fluid out of those spaces. So it acts like like a squeegee in the shower of getting all of that fluid off of the walls of gotcha. the shower. So pretty similar. So I use the acupressure ring to get fluid out of the finger, which is good because we squeeze all of the old fluid, all of the old nutritionless inflammational fluid that's been there for a while. Mm-hmm. And we allow new fresh fluid and nutrients and oxygen to come back to that tissue. So that's a good thing. Um, as for holding uh, the tissue and trying to break up scar tissue with it. I think that's beneficial, but we do need to know how to do it. So, um, holding that finger either in flexion or into extension and using the finger ring, um, North, South, East, West kind of cross directional to break up any little adhesions in there. And you may, I see them a lot in climbers on the back of the finger and, and a few on the underside. And I also see a bunch on the sides where the pulley tendon attaches right. on the bone. Yes, and you can use it on the underside, but I want you guys to be very cautious with how hard you're pushing mm-hmm. because you can inflame nodules or inflame the pulley, and it's hard for those things to heal if they're an inflammational stew that's sitting there, and we're constantly cross-friction and rubbing on where all the tension is when we need to be working more upstream on, on weighting that tension which is up in the forearm, loosening up the muscles that's tugging on that tendon, which is causing the pain you're feeling. Right, right, and that sort of leads me into my next thought that you know, climbers are getting much, much better at self-care. I, I think there's been this, you know, this zeitgeist of sort that's happening that climbers are just paying more attention to it. You know, at Waco this year, I saw tons of people with foam rollers and the crossballs and, excellent. you know, and rolling out every night and every morning. And, and it was really nice to see with all these modalities of, you know, fixing your your minor injuries are there some of them that can do harm if using incorrectly and how careful should we be about that for instance if you know is there a situation in which voodoo flossing could make the problem worse mm-hmm. and not just voodoo flossing but but all of these things yes yes so using these tools but uh i would say with a grain of salt mm-hmm. test it out see how it feels don't just go super all out at once with them and see how your body responds. Some people get way into it way too quickly and it is like working out. So if you work very deeply into your forearms and you're sore from it, you need to give it a few days to rest and then come back in a few days and work on it again. Um, so for someone that's going way too aggressively and, and there's also this, this idea, I believe from CrossFit that when we work on ourselves, 
pain is good. Right, and the right. more you rip and shred and grind, the more you're helping yourself. And that seems very counterintuitive to um, doing a lot of massage in office and muscle work. There is this boundary between if I push too hard, your body almost creates a reflex to protect you. And it tightens up and it fights me and I'm not right. making any good. Yep. I'm just teaching your body to protect itself more. Mm -hmm. So we need to back off and really see at what load your body relaxes into it. And we can actually get that muscle belly to relax. So we're holding these spots and we're waiting for, does it feel like it's melting? Does it feel like that muscle just twitched and let go? Um, is it a hurt so good phenomenon? Or do I feel like I'm going to pass out and, and it doesn't feel like it's doing anything? Right. And, and that's where the real genius behind muscle work comes, which I'm still learning. I've been doing it for years and I'm still mm -hmm. learning what is causing this one spot in your back to bother you. It could be coming from all the way up on the front on the pec. Mm -hmm. or it could be coming from your postural stabilizers in your mid-back. And so if the spot you're working on doesn't seem to be loosening up and letting go, chances are it is reacting to somewhere nearby or somewhere else or a weakness or a muscle imbalance pattern or a muscle you can't get to turn on. Like in the case of my shoulder, I couldn't get my lat to turn on in my back. So if, if I could get my lat to turn on, all of a sudden I could do a pull-up. And so I was just up at the Seattle bouldering project this last weekend. They had a big, a big shin dig and there was a PT there and I can't work on myself. I can't sure. feel what's going on. So I said, Hey, would you mind having a look? And I showed him what was going on and he just dug everywhere and poked everywhere. And he said, it's actually coming from the other side. You can't engage your left lat because your right one's tight and it's actually pressing all your ribs are popping out on the left side. Hmm. And, and that is grinding on your muscles and turning them off. And, and so I can work as hard as I want on the left side and those knots keep coming back. So if you can't figure out where it's coming from, which there's a lot of people that are really well trained and how to do that, if you can't figure it out, go find someone that can. And a well-seasoned massage therapist is very, very good at reading muscles and, and yeah. delving through the different, the different scenarios they've seen as for figuring out where it's coming from. Even though they're not climbers, they're very good at knowing muscles and, and where, where those patterns arise. Yep. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. I had a massage therapist in Cincinnati that I went to fairly often um, with the garage body and you know, body and massage, I think is what it was called. And <laughs> I like it. And she was great. And I could work on these knots I was getting with lacrosse balls and foam rollers, you know, ad nauseum. I could, I could work on them forever and they would just keep coming back and keep coming back. And in just a few minutes of working in the area, with her, they'd be gone, hmm. you know? So I think that having someone who knows how to, you know, feel around, poke around and find out where the actual problem's coming from makes a big difference. Especially so. when all these muscles overlap in one area. Right. So say behind mm -hmm. the shoulder blade, you have ribs back there. Yep. And it's all connected. Mm -hmm. You know, your body's not, you know, none of the parts of your body work in isolation it all works together. So mm -hmm. fascinating. Yeah. One of the, one of the research studies that I heard of, I think it was two years ago. Now, if you lose the flexibility of your big toe, um, you no longer have control of your low back. You don't have nearly as much uh, mm. core stability as you would if your big toe was flexible. So we're starting to realize all these regions really do interplay. And also with patients that are climbers that keep getting finger hand issues, we start to notice that maybe there's a torso issue. Maybe we can't control our upper quadrant stabilizers of our abs, or maybe our right. pec is too tight and our shoulders not sitting mm -hmm. correctly, or maybe we have something further, further down the line into the torso that's an issue. Um, 
fascinating. And then lastly, my last bit of research, I promise, is that the fascia over the top of the muscle will actually transfer force. So I've seen quite a few climbers this year that have neck issues that have arisen, and it's because they're cheating with their neck to stabilize their shoulder or stabilize their fingers. Okay. Yeah. So research shows that 40% of the load of one muscle can be transferred to a totally different region through fascia. Mm -hmm. So there is quite a bit of cheating. I'm guilty of it too. I pull down and if I don't have the strength, I will tuck my chin. Total cheating. I think we all do when in a performance in a performance spot, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're going to do whatever we can to make the move instead of staying focused on, am I in a, in the correct position or in a safe position? Um, so I think that's why training is important. You know, we train in and we practice in safer positions and that's why kinesio tape and things like that could add to, you know, add to that in that it's teaching your brain these better positions. It's teaching you how to stay in these better positions, giving you cues. And then when you're in a performance mode, maybe you can more easily automatically go into those better positions instead of just defaulting over to whatever feels the strongest. Yes. Yes. Yeah. First you are, um, unconsciously very bad at it. And then you consciously realize I cannot control this, this shoulder joint of mine, or or I'm very bad at my elbow positioning. And then you start to work at on it, but you're very bad at it. Mm -hmm. And then finally you have it and unconsciously you're in control of it. And that's the final phase. And it takes time to get there. It's a long process. That tape helps, but also all of your drills and all of your training so that when you're finally in that, that final go mode, you're able to do it and actually focus on what you're doing and your body just runs like a machine as we're all working so hard to be. Yep. Cool. Um, any other thoughts you have on hands and fingers? I know we've kind of gone all over the place here, which is great. Um, any other thoughts you have on hands or fingers that you've been noticing or experimenting with or excited about? Man, that's a very good question. Uh, so the majority of things that I've seen in the hands and fingers that have been very shocking to me this year have been, uh, as I said, those, those avulsions of bone on the backside of the finger. And they're usually noticed when you're doing like a crimp or the, the few that I've seen have been a side pull crimp, very aggressive and they heard pop. And my whole focus this year is on how not to get in that situation. How, how did that happen in the first place? Right. Um, how is that tendon? So, so what's happening is that the tendon is tugging so hard that the bone is actually weaker than the tendon. The bone just breaks. And that's very fascinating because all the climbing research as of the past, what, 2015, uh, Laurent Vigoro out of France, his uh, research, I believe it's called estimation of strength of the muscles of the hand and the fingers, showed that we are very, very weak on the back of our forearm versus the average Joe on the corner. So I believe just by observation, we spend all this time clenching and in crimps and and, and in this position, even when we sleep, that we're in a fist and and our wrist is bent. And that is just chronically loading the tendons on the backside of our fingers. So perhaps that's where that is coming from is if we can unweight, so loosen up the muscles on the back and then start strengthening them mm-hmm. and then try to change our sleeping positions and, and, and the things that, that are provoking it. So trying not to sleep with a bent wrist and fingers all curled up, that that will hopefully help to start changing the, these, uh, these incidences that I'm seeing in my office. Gotcha. So, and does that, is that alleviated at all by doing, you know, extensor work for your fingers? The, the strength issue is. 
Yeah. Okay. So not only are they weaker in extension, but so um, like like a duck bill quacking, and right. then our fingertips spreading from each other, kind of like a bomb going off. Mm-hmm. Um, but also into the back of the wrist and the sides of the wrist. So one of my favorite exercises shown to me by Will Anglin down at uh, Earth Treks and Golden uh-huh. is just holding on to a chalk brush at the end, one of the really long ones, mm-hmm. and lifting it off the ground and lowering it like you're doing a handshake, right. strengthening up those muscles on the on the inside of the wrist, and then flipping it over your shoulder as if you're throwing salt over your shoulder and then doing the opposing action and trying to strengthen those up. So we're missing a bunch of those stabilizers. Mm -hmm. So I spend most of my time in the office teaching people about their injuries and then really delving into how how to unweight them. And so if we can strengthen up all the muscles and, and change the loading on the tendons on the back of the hands, perhaps we'll have a bunch more structural stability and that's We'll have more strength out of the hands, but we'll have much less injury. And our pulley injuries that we keep having, some of the researchers are saying maybe that's happening because we don't have this structural stability. So it's like you're driving a Jeep. I see a lot of crazy Jeeps on the road here driving way too fast. (laughs) It looks like the sway bars are disconnected. I know they haven't upgraded their brakes. And I just wonder about the stability if they come into a, a car act or a quick stop situation. Is, are they going to have a bunch of body roll? Is it going to stop mm-hmm. in, a, in a perfect position? Same thing with the hand when you're pulling on the rock. Right. Do we have enough hand strength e- even into the palm of our hand, the big mound of the thumb and, and all the muscles on the pinky side? Is that strong enough to, to keep our hand in a stable position as we're pulling really hard? Or does our hand just collapse into an uncontrolled, unstable unhelpful position and is that causing us to have more pulley injuries as a populace and we're doing more research on that but there's not there's not enough researchers bless their hearts they're working really hard Um, but there's just not enough answers to the questions we have and as we answer each question we have a lot more questions which makes it very exciting i spend all day just wondering about things in my mind and hoping next time i go to see you to do more research that answer will be there then it comes down to its research. So who knows if they were to redo the study or have someone else redo the study, if it would be the same. But hopefully it would be. And ho- and it just comes back to, if you notice something is working, keep with it. And if you notice that your self-care technique is making it worse, have someone look at it. And if you notice that your taping job makes it feel better, makes it feel more stable, you're able to use that finger, you're able to use that shoulder better, or your elbow hurts less, by all means, keep doing it. And if it's something new that I haven't mentioned in my book or that I haven't mentioned in this podcast, reach out and tell me about it so that I can share yeah. it with the populace or, or test it myself because I'm always learning new stuff. And that's the exciting part of this is, is learning and sharing info because of, of all the other um, sports that I've worked with, runners, triathletes, uh, tennis players and cyclists, they knew all this self-care stuff. And then when I started getting involved with climbing, I saw there was this very real hole of, well, how do I prep for climbing? What's what's my injury prevention? Well, I do hangboarding. Well, what else do you do? Well, I do rice bucket. Well, that, that's really cool, actually. Right. But that's it. Is there nothing else you do? There's so much mm-hmm. more we could do. And, and it's important to add those in so we're well-rounded. So not only can we climb and not get injured, but we can also get to the climb without getting injured and carry all the heavy stuff back and do it well into our 70s and 80s. Yep, you're going to climb harder. You're going to be able to climb more. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's what we all want ultimately. Mm-hmm. You know, keep climbing after injuries versus just stopping. I've met too many people that stop because yep. they think this injury is them getting old and it's right. just, they haven't done their self care. They're adding up. It's just like a car that you haven't changed the oil. You haven't aligned it. No wonder why it's squeaking and crying. Yep. Yep. Why would the body be any different and why do we expect it to be different? Mm-hmm. And we spend so much time and money 
taking care of our vehicles, but then we don't do the same with our bodies. So yes, I'm sorry, body. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I need to take exactly. better care of you. We all do. Well, I really appreciate your your way of taking the research and then putting it in common sense terms so that we can understand it. You know, because I'm not a I'm not a research oriented person at all. I have a really hard time reading it. I'll force myself to do it, but it's a lot easier when there are people out there like you who are who can take it, put it into terms that we can all understand and actionable terms and hand it to us. So I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Maybe I'll highlight some stuff and mail it up to you and say, hey, check this out. Yeah, you should share yeah. this with the world. Bring it up to me. We'll go climb it. I would love that. I'm looking forward to it. Labor Day. I'll yep. be up. <laughs> so thanks for sitting down with me, Lisa. I really, really appreciate it. And where can... Where can people find you online or otherwise? Absolutely. I have a bunch of videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Lisa Erickson. My website is climbinginjuriessolved.com. I have all my videos, a bunch of self-care um, advice panels and tutorials and how-to booklets. And then my book, Climbing Injuries Solved, is at a bunch of different places. Oh, yeah, I just picked it up. I'm very excited. Awesome. Um, and yeah, you can also get it off of Amazon. Cool. And my uh, distributor is Wolverine Publishing. Awesome. Very cool. And if they want to see you, if they're in Colorado, if they're in the Boulder area and they want to see you, how do they go about that? Yeah, they can even see me online. I have Skype options. Perfect. And my we uh, so if you click on my Climbing Injuries Solved website, there's a link to my Boulder Clinic. And that clinic is called Life Sport Chiropractic. And if you just type in lifesportchiro.com, there's a link. And if you're abroad or uh, I've spoken with people in Brazil and in Canada, you can just do online Skype with me and, and send me your, your films or send me your MRIs or you can just point to it and talk to me online. And I, I do all kinds of medical coaching as well. Or they can come in an office. I'm honored. Um, but I had a guy drive from Waco. So if you drive all the way from Waco, just Skype me first. Don't drive all the way. I'm honored, <laughs> but well, that's a long way to go. Yeah. yeah. A, lot of this, a lot of these ideas I can teach you over the internet. You don't have to drive. Cool. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I know the people listening appreciate it too. So oh, thanks. it's been a pleasure. My goal is to educate as many as possible and learn some new things along the way. Well, hope I can help with that. Yeah, we're all learning. <laughs> thanks for having me. You know, incidentally enough, uh, a few weeks before I went and saw Lisa, I had slammed pretty hard at the skate park, and I thought that I had broken my hand or broken my wrist, and I wondered if I had. I hoped that I hadn't, of course. Uh, but when I went to see Lisa, I had a brace on my wrist, and she she wanted to take a look at it and just wanted to, you know, she was genuinely excited about getting to see what the injury was, and and she didn't think it was broken and she gave me some acupuncture and uh, manipulated the joint a little bit and and when i left there it felt much much better and more than anything she gave me confidence that that it was going to improve on its own and and now it now it's great now i'm back to climbing and it's not 100 percent yet but it's it's getting there and i appreciate you know the way that she approached that situation you know she could have very well ignored it and i wouldn't have thought twice um, and like I mentioned before, if you want to hear Lisa's tips for how best to avoid finger injuries, uh, you can do that by becoming a patron of the podcast. You get extra episodes, you get some other perks as well for as little as a dollar a month. And you can do that at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast. 
Um, currently, we've got around 140-some patrons over there, and I appreciate you guys. You guys are the core of this thing, so thank you a ton. And like Lisa told you there, you can and you should look her up. Uh, you can find her book at on Amazon. You can find it at REI. You can get it from her website, climbinginjurysolved.com. I will also have a link on the power company site on this blog post uh, straight to the book so you can go there and frankly that'll net us a little bit of money won't cost you any more we get a small percentage and i appreciate that you guys do that uh, you can also reach out to her at her boulder clinic for an e-visit uh, or a diagnostic ultrasound of their of your pulley or your finger um, or you know she can offer all sorts of things she's got a great human approach to this you can find her at lifesportchiro.com i'll also have links to that in the show notes on the website so you guys should reach out to lisa if you think you might have injured a finger um, please do and you know one more time you guys thanks for those hundred reviews i appreciate that hugely that means a lot to me and we've got a lot of things going on here we hope to see you guys out in the upper midwest this summer um, we've got our climbing mindfulness journals are at the printer you guys will be hearing more about those soon so be on the lookout uh, this thing is just growing thanks to you guys uh, you know where to find us powercompanyclimbing.com you can find us on the Facebooks you can find us on the Instagrams you can find us on that damned website Pinterest that's an addiction to so many people around this country and I don't even understand it but I'm glad that it is damn it Uh, but you will not find us on the Twitters because we don't tweet we scream like eagles this time, 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 this